the 2020 Oscar nominations are here, and so is my new podcast. Welcome. My name's Jake. This is the OCC, the Oscar Category Completist. There's a trailer on this feed I recorded if you want to hear some background on what I'm going for. The short of it is, I'm a crazy person. I watch every single Oscar movie in every category every year. I gamify everything in my life is what it comes down to, basically. Um, I've watched the Oscars my whole life with my family growing up and then on my own and now with my wife. And the show's more interesting when you've seen the movies. So I set this goal a while ago to watch all the best pictures and then it kind of expanded and expanded over time. And now, voila, this year I've seen 80 to 90 animated shorts. So (laughs) there you go. Now, I live in Chicago, but today it's Oscar nomination day and I'm recording at the corner of Hollywood and Vine in LA. I'm doing this first episode solo and I'm going to talk about the documentary shorts and features, but I have a lot of great guests planned for future episodes to break down every category as well as all the Best Picture nominees. Um, The plan is two episodes every Monday and Thursday between now and the Oscars, which is an insane plan, but I'm going to try to do it. I'm going to try to cover every category for you, film lover and listener, uh, and thank you for tuning in. I'll plug that I have a second episode out today, and if you have to pick between this episode and that episode, go listen to that episode. Uh, for just for the terrific guest, I spoke with Tim Muirhead from the exceptional podcast Tone Benders about the sound editing and mixing categories. And wow, I learned a ton. He is so smart, so engaging. We cover the sound on a number of these movies, so um, go ahead and check that out. And then if you have time, come back, listen to this. Um, one final piece of admin, um, and then I'll dive into the docs. This is a new podcast, it is dropping today. I've worked really hard on it. Um, it's a side hobby. Like I have a full-time job. I love watching these uh, these movies, and my hope is that there's an audience that is excited to have these conversations with me. If you're into what you're hearing or if you're just feeling generous on a Monday or whatever day you're listening to this and you want to make me feel good, hit subscribe and give me five stars. I know it's really cliche to say that, um, but I, I, look, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I hear uh, that hit subscribe, give me five stars plug in. Like I didn't used to actually do it. Um, But it actually, like, I'm just learning as I get into this, it makes such a massive difference in terms of kind of the people who would want to listen to this, being able to find it. So um, I always do do that now. I go take the time um, to subscribe. And so if you're able to help me do that, I just, uh, I really appreciate it. So, all right. I think that's enough admin. Um, I'm excited to start talking about all these movies. So let's get into it, uh, starting with the documentary shorts. And here are the nominees for best documentary short subject. In the Absence. Learning to skateboard in a war zone if you're a girl. (laughs) Life Overtakes Me. St. Louis Superman. And Walk, Run, Cha-Cha. So off the top, 2019 was just an exceptional year for film. Again, I watch every Oscar movie every year. And this year, all the categories are so exceptionally deep, um, really more so than, than any year that I can remember. Now, the Academy captured glimpses of that in their actual nominations, um, and then they screwed up a bunch of stuff, which like I'll have time to rant about it um, throughout the course of this, this podcast, and you know that's just me and all of film Twitter, so you know it is what it is, but um, overall, it's a great class of documentary shorts, and um, I'm really talking about the short list of 10, even just beyond the five that made the final cut today. Again, the nominees here are Walk, Run, Cha-Cha, Life Overtakes Me, In the Absence, 
Learning to Skateboard in a War Zone if You're a Girl, and St. Louis Superman. So before I'll talk in depth on the nominees, I want to talk some snubs from the shortlist um, first. So for me, it really starts with Nightcrawlers, which I'm really disappointed didn't make the cut. That's one of my biggest disappointments of uh, the nominations today. It's among my favorite movies of the whole year in any category. Um, So it's about the war on drugs in the Philippines under Duarte. It's from National Geographic Films, and it follows a photojournalistic group uh, that works to shed light on these extrajudicial killings. Um, There's just like a stomach-churning intensity to it. You watch a lot of it through one eye, (laughs) kind of afraid of what you're going to see. It's unsafe filmmaking, uh, but that makes it rewarding if you can get through it. And the filmmakers embed uh, both with photojournalists covering extrajudicial killings a great risk to themselves because this places them in opposition with the local police and government and dangerous militias. And then they also embed with the actual militia who carry out these killings. It is extremely unsettling uh, and terrifying for 40 minutes. Um, There are parts that include hidden camera video footage of these militia missions. So setting out to kill somebody who they're accusing of being a drug user and wearing a hidden camera, and you're sitting there watching this unfold. Uncomfortable stuff, to say the least. Uh, But what it does for the viewer, it takes a headline that you might see living in America, going about your day-to-day life, and it makes it real. And it forces you to consider these horrors that are happening right now. And that's what's so effective about access journalism of this type in general, um, in my opinion. And I feel it deserves recognition, but it will not get it this year. So that's my big disappointment in the category. Um, Other shortlisted docs that were left out, Fire in Paradise uh, is a Netflix movie about the campfire from 2018 in California that wiped out the town of Paradise, California. I actually thought this one was really effective also. Something had to be left out because I thought the top six um, of the shortlist were just really strong. So I wasn't okay with Nightcrawlers missing the cut. This one I would have been happy to see it in, um, but it didn't make it. What it does do really well is it puts you smack in the middle of this event. The film basically recreates uh, the harrowing escape for survivors from this fire through real-time cell phone and dashboard footage overlaid with first responder audio and direct-to-camera interviews. You feel trapped inside the fire and kind of unsure if you'll be able to escape, and the footage just allows the viewer to be in that situation in a way that's not always possible when you're just recreating past events. If you live outside of California, like I do, For many, um, this was a news story that came and went, and so it's really alarming to just see the devastation firsthand that took place here and the impact. Um, Again, though, this one, not nominated. Then the final few movies I'll cover on the shortlist that weren't nominated today were Stay Close, which is about an Olympic fencer and some of the personal family hardships that he endured, Um, and it's told through a blend of home videos and animation. After Maria is a Netflix film about the inadequate response to Hurricane Maria and the lack of support, um, survivors in particular that are trying to relocate to the mainland uh, encounter. And then Ghosts of Sugarland was another Netflix movie centered around uh, interviews with friends of a man who, as of the time of the filming, had either joined the Islamic State or become an FBI informant. The characters in the movie don't definitively know which of those scenarios it is. The viewer, the kind of takeaway is probably radicalized. Um, but all three of those missed the cut. I had them out too, but they're easy to find, easy to watch if you want to see them. All right, let's talk about the actual nominees. 
So I'm going to engage in some self-serious list making here and uh, talk about my five to one reverse order of what I'd choose if I made these decisions. Again, just from the universe of today's final nominees. Um, so the one that made the cut that I honestly would have bumped for Nightcrawlers is Run, Walk, Cha-Cha. And so I'll start with that. Not, by the way, I wouldn't bump it because it's not good. It is good. Again, I just felt this was a really deep class, and I think Nightcrawlers was exceptional. Um, but one Walk, Run, Cha-Cha is a New York Times documentary. Um, as of this recording, you can watch it for free online. Now, this is I'm going to digress really quickly. Um, nine of the ten shortlisted docs, as of right now, um, I checked and you can watch them for free online. That's probably going to change. If you're trying to be an Oscar completist, I would go try to watch these right away because um, Shorts HD usually packages up the shortlist and distributes it locally at cinemas. And when that happens, um, usually stuff that was previously available for free online disappears. But anyway, at least right now, Walk Run Cha Cha is on the New York Times website, um, and it follows a now older couple who, um, in the 70s, is boyfriend and girlfriend were separated from each other after the Vietnam War and then used dance to reconnect in their older age. What it does well, I feel, is it is impressive in the way that it uses simple emotional themes uh, to tell a story. These themes are loss, love, um, reconnection, and that simplicity, I feel, is an intentional choice that does highlight the emotional power of these concepts. Now, what results is that intellectually, there's not as much to think about, I think, as some other entries. So it's pegged nicely to emotion, but simplistic as far as story. If you're somebody who measures depth in emotional resonance, and I know a lot of people are like that. My wife is like that. She really appreciates like emotion in, in film. And I think that, you know, if you're if you're like that, this is this is wonderful. This might be your favorite, honestly, if, if you're like if that's the way that you consume media. For me, I like having something to chew on intellectually. I like kind of complexity. And this is really simple, but it is certainly a nice story um, of what seems to be a very nice couple. <laughs> and there's a larger theme to be extrapolated um, to any of our own marriages and our own relationships about focusing on your commonalities um, and the things that brought you together in the first place as a way of staying connected. So it's good. That's the first nominee in this category. Um, the second is another film called uh, Life Overtakes Me, another film from Netflix. And from here on out, by the way, all these films are exceptional. Um, I w if any of the next four win, I will not be disappointed. Uh, Life Overtakes Me is a fascinating story. And another example of why I love watching all these different documentaries, um, you learn about things that are of enormous consequence that um, I would otherwise be totally ignorant to. I had never heard of the situation covered in this movie, and it feels like something everyone ought to know is happening. Basically, um, there have been 400 cases in Sweden of refugee, of refugee children who have come down with something called child resignation syndrome. These children are asleep, non-responsive, but alive for months, uh, a year in some cases. Basically like an involuntary hibernation. Now, these children have all escaped trauma in their home countries and taken refugee in Sweden. Um, so their citizenship's in flux, and they face the threat of deportation. That's kind of the conditions. Experience a substantial trauma, live under continued uncertainty. And only in Sweden, this has only happened in this country, they fall into this living comatose sleep. 
and then some of them wake up, especially if their family is approved for citizenship, let's say, and they begin to face less uncertainty. It's pretty crazy. The story uh, the movie's telling, so it's fascinating on its own. Like if you just read it on a piece of paper with no flowery language, it is still an interesting story. The movie then on top of that is really, really good. Uh, the filmmaking, something I noticed, they utilize kind of a slowness. They have a lot of gorgeous establishing shots of Sweden, and it helps set this sleepy feel for the documentary about this long, long sleep. And also when you show all this beautiful scenery, it kind of puts front and center the promise of this new country, and yet the elusiveness of fully belonging to it for these refugees and, and from the trauma of their homes. Uh, The structure follows the individual families of three cases for more than a year, and it's deeply personal. It's worth a watch. Again, this one's on Netflix, um, and it's called Life Overtakes Me, and that's the second uh, nominee in this category. The third is one that I'm really excited made the cut. I was afraid it was going to get snubbed. It's a film called In the Absence from Field of Vision, which is a visual journalism unit. It covers the sinking of the seawall ferry off the coast of South Korea in 2014, an event that despite being uh, somebody who follows the news pretty closely, I wasn't familiar with at all. The short of what happened, if you're like me and you haven't heard about it, um, a ferry sunk off the coast of South Korea in 2014, and about 300 people died, 250 of whom were part of a group of high school students on the school trip. So tragic event. Of the 170 or so passengers who survived, most of them, many of them, were rescued by fishing boats and other commercial boats that arrived 40 minutes after the Korean Coast Guard. So the fallout quickly became about the government mismanagement, which pretty clearly exacerbated the event into a much larger tragedy than it should have been, and then the subsequent efforts to cover that up and propagandize the coverage of the government response. It escalated and ended up in the impeachment and removal of the president of the country. So this was a quite significant world event. The film itself is uh, Korean with subtitles and combines interviews with survivors and victims' families uh, with audio recordings of Coast Guard calls that are overlaid to match real time with the archival video of the ship sinking. So you sort of see a recreation in lapsed real time of the ship sinking and what the conversation was about it at the time. And that's where I think it is so effective. It's the way that it depicts the inaction of bureaucracy and how costly that was, and then ties it back to the human impact through family interviews. Um, You watch footage that spans hours, and it is painfully frustrating to see the ship sinking very slowly and then listen to the overlaid audio of the Coast Guard and decision makers taking this cautious approach uh, to the rescue process. They're requesting internal video for reporting and just very slow to take any action while the ship is sinking and nobody's doing anything. The documentary is direct to the point. There's no narration, so the story framing comes from the archival audio and then some interviews with survivors and families, and then as it gets a little bit further into the movie, um, from news reports and from like I guess the C-SPAN equivalent uh, footage of the of the impeachment trial. Um, this one again, as of recording, you can watch it online. That may change, uh, so I would Google the title. In the absence, uh, you should be able to watch it. Um, it's it's quite good, quite good. Um, so I'd say the favorite to win 
the actual Oscar in this category is a movie called Learning to Skateboard in a War Zone if you're a girl. Um, that's the fourth nominee. And while it's not my pick, I'd be absolutely fine with it if it does win. It's very engaging. The filmmaker is named Carol Dissinger. Uh, she's making a trilogy in on life in Afghanistan since the start of the 2001 American intervention. Now, this is not part of that trilogy, but this is somebody who knows the area very well. Uh, this is focused in Kabul, Afghanistan, on a school that educates girls from rural areas to read and write and then to skateboard. <laughs> um, these are often girls who come from areas that traditionally don't promote education among women. The documentary uses as a framing device different steps of learning to skateboard and then intersplices uh, within those steps kind of about the school and the girls attending and what life is like for them in Afghanistan. I think it always helps to have a frame. I will say that for me, this is one of the things that I didn't love about the movie was that, I mean, look, I'm not a skateboarder, but I wasn't actually all that clear on how the skateboarding skills that framed each section related in any metaphorical way to the content covered in that section. It helped space out the movie, but the conceit didn't actually substantively work for me. Just having a conceit, though, still helps provide structure and tone. And tonally, the movie balances nicely, I think, the hopefulness and optimism around education and what that means for these girls, at the same time making tangible and, and immediate how dangerous day-to-day -day life is in this part of Afghanistan, and for these girls in particular. Bombing attacks are kind of the wallpaper of the movie, I would say. Um, they're constantly happening, being talked about, and as the viewer, you can't put that danger out of your mind. Even as you watch this story that's primarily about the operations of the school, um, you're always keenly aware that at any moment there could be an attack on the school, around the school. It's, it's a very effective documentary, for sure. It won Best Documentary Short at Tribeca. Um, it won the IDA Documentary Awards. The prognostication seems to be pretty consensus that this will win the Oscar. It's through A&E Indie Film, so if you have A&E Channel On Demand, you can watch this movie there as part of your cable subscription, uh, since cable's on the rise these days. I think you can also watch it through the app Philo with a PH if you're a cord cutter. I've never used that app, but I recommend the movie. It's 39 minutes. The cutoff for a short uh, verse feature is 40 minutes, so it tells a complete story. If you're doing Oscar pools, again, I think it's likely going to win. Um, it's not what I would pick, but it's in my top three. It's really good. My favorite, though, is, uh, at least my favorite that was nominated, is St. Louis Superman. And that's what I would choose if I was choosing. Now, it's not online, so you may have to wait to see this until Shorts HD releases the documentary in theaters. It is through MTV Films, and I think at some point the, the plan is to broadcast that on MTV, but I have not seen any plans to do so. I have been fortunate enough, though, to see the movie, and it is enormously effective. It covers Bruce Franks, who was an activist, is an activist, from Missouri. I'd say that's how I'd sum up the category, character. Um, he was on the front lines during the riots in Ferguson. He's an active battle rapper, and he ran after Ferguson and won and served in the Missouri House of Representatives, uh, representing his district before resigning in 2019. His life has been personally impacted by gun violence, uh, and a thread throughout the film is his effort taking more than a year to pass a bill declaring youth violence as a public health epidemic and naming the day that his brother was killed 
at nine years old uh, in his honor. I found it to just be an extraordinary portrait of honest, genuine activism from someone intensively engaged in their community. The simpleness of the filmmaking is so effective in capturing this weary uphill fight that he's persistently waging. Equally as present, for me at least, was what's not captured, which is how the political climate and the bureaucratic hurdles of a divided government mean that all these efforts we see him put forth to fight gun violence throughout the whole movie, ultimately his success in this movie, the celebration at the end, is that he passes this bill that in many ways seems ceremonial. He's naming a commemorative day and he's declaring a crisis, but there's no true action to solve this crisis. And the failure to, you know, even with somebody this passionate, this committed and devoted to championing this cause, the failure of his colleagues to act on something like this has to take its toll. In fact, you learn in the uh, ending intertitle that he's resigned his position um, due to stress and anxiety associated with, you know, further gun deaths of, I think it was his best friend and godson. Um, So it's pretty devastating, but I I think it's just a very excellent portrait. And it tells a compelling story in a clear way. I hope you get a chance to see it. And that's the category, I think, pretty much. I'm trying to think any other movies that just were not even shortlisted this year. Um, Probably the most notable is Song of Parkland. Um, That was shortlisted for Doc NYC, which is a big bellwether for the documentary um, Oscars. And uh, this is from HBO about the theater group at Marjorie Stoneman High School, uh, which and kind of their journey to finish the play that they were working on when the Parkland shooting happened. Um, that was that, that's good. Mac wrestles also is a thirty for thirty from ESPN about a transgender wrestler in Texas. Overall, um, really strong category this year. Uh, my only issue with the final five, and it's a big issue, is the absence of Nightcrawlers. But I found these all to be very good docs. So I hope you go watch them. Now let's talk documentary features. The nominees for Best Documentary Feature. American Factory. (laughs) The Cave. The Edge of Democracy. For Sama. And Honeyland. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all better give love to For Sama too. (laughs) All right, so the nominees in this category American Factory, The Cave, The Edge of Democracy, For Sama, and Honeyland. The shortlist for the feature category is 15 nominees. So that's a lot of movies. I'm going to try to cover some of the ones that were shortlisted and passed over for the final nominees first. I'll try to do it kind of quickly. Um, Probably the most surprising to be left out is Apollo 11. Uh, I think this was largely seen as a lock for nominations. It's on Hulu if you want to watch it. Hopefully you have a big TV. (laughs) It aggregates archival footage of the Apollo 11 launch and weaves it together to show the full mission from Earth to the moon and back. It's a cool opportunity to see in entirety something that like, I never got to experience firsthand. I think a lot of the audience in 2020 probably wasn't alive um, for the moon mission, and it's transportive in that respect. I also think what a lot of people liked about it is kind of the subtext that you fill in yourself about the loss of American ingenuity, I guess. It's, like, it's interesting to watch right after... You see this all play out. 
you see all the excitement and optimism and kind of the feeling that this is like a transcendent moment in history. And now it's 2020. We don't live on the moon. Humans haven't really got anywhere else in space. That's obviously, this is a hugely like callous dismissal of tons of scientific progress that NASA has made. But my point is like, it captures the hopefulness everybody felt at the time. And it doesn't actively contrast that to the present, but I think the audience naturally does it themselves. And it's interesting to think about. It wasn't nominated. So I think that's the biggest surprise here. Although I will talk about what got in instead. I think that slot went to Edge of Democracy, and I'm totally good with that. Um, I'll talk about that movie. Um, I think that's maybe the right choice. The other surprise was One Child Nation, which Amazon really pushed. Um, That is a documentary about the impact of the one child policy in China. The framing is a Chinese woman who now lives in America and recently gave birth traveling back to her rural Chinese community to learn about the one-child policy to kind of through her immediate community. Other ones from the shortlist that missed the final nominations, uh, The Apollo from HBO Docs. It's like a scrapbook of history of the Apollo Theater in Brooklyn uh, with some effort to put into perspective the theater's place in the experience of black history in America. Pretty conventional structure, but makes a compelling case for the historical significance of the venue. Aquarela. This is a documentary from Sony Picture Classics about water. Just about water. Impressionistically, not informationally. It just shows you a lot of water for 90 minutes. There's no narration, no dialogue. Uh, visuals are stunning. Cinematography is in its own class relative to like any movie ever, I would say. They capture some crazy stuff. You see the Arctic. You see avalanches, uh, hurricanes. And then uh, they have intermittent heavy metal as the soundtrack, which is a choice I kind of loved. You can rent this on Amazon, YouTube. Uh, Many of you would watch it at home. And I'll be honest, like, you'll probably have trouble resisting the urge to drift in and out, do other things, text. Like, it's just an hour and a half of pictures of water in different states. But it's not nominated. So anyway, it was was interesting, um, but didn't make the cut. Maiden is a movie that tells the story of the first all-female crew to sail around the world as part of the uh, Whip Red Round the World race. Knock Down the House uh, is a Netflix movie that primarily follows Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's surprise primary win uh, versus Joe Crowley. It also um, covers a handful of other female candidates running from outside the political sphere in 2018. The Great Hack is a Netflix movie that was shortlisted but not nominated. It is about the Cambridge Analytica scandal and tries to be kind of a heavy-handed warning of how out of control our personal data is. That It's slickly made. It's got some really nice technical flourishes. On substance, like I, it features interesting interviews, but I feel like it doesn't quite have the bombshell revelation it wants. You leave with this vague sense that like things are bad, your data is not safe, but they circle around a smoking gun and they never are quite able to uh, show one big impactful piece of evidence, I guess, that could really alarm the video, uh, the viewer. But that one's on Netflix. You can check it out. What else? Um, it's a short list of 15. So there were a lot that didn't make the cut. The Biggest Little Farm, that's available on Hulu and tracks a farm in California. It serves as an argument basically in favor of a very specific type of eco-farming. I was in Calabasas this weekend and I was at a farmer's market and the farm from this movie had a stand there, and they were plugging this documentary like crazy. Advocate covers a lawyer in Israel who defends Palestinians that are being tried for terrorism, and even just like 
I had to write a one-sentence summary, basically, to, like, describe this movie to you on this podcast. And even that one-sentence summary I know is fraught. Like, the choice of language, um, it's a very sensitive subject, but it actually covers the story in a very dispassionate way. It's not judgmental at all. It doesn't take sides. It's slow, but it's interesting. And then the last one that didn't make the cut, uh, which I was really rooting for, is a documentary called Midnight Family uh, from director Luke Lorenzen. I found this one really tremendous. So this follows a family uh, that operates a private ambulance in Mexico City, and I think it is just so impactful in terms of showing the fundamental brokenness of that system. What you see coming to life through the documentary, you, you basically just, just watch this family uh, do their work on a series of trips to pick up victims and then take them to the hospital. And what you see come to life is sort of the conflicting priorities of when you have a private ambulance system, patient care versus personal profit, and not for greed, like really for survival. You see how hard these people are scrapping together just enough funds to get by. Um, when they take a patient to a private hospital that will pay them, that's often their most secure way to know that they'll get paid. Because otherwise, many patients don't have insurance, many aren't able to pay from their own funds, and yet when they drive further to get to a private hospital, it can hugely impact these life or death outcomes. There's also pervasive corruption that you pick up on, this culture of police accepting bribes. The American healthcare system may not be perfect, but this film depicts a structure in Mexico that's just rotted through. Um, some of my favorite scenes, there's scenes where this family is literally racing other ambulances to try to get to an accident first to, to earn that ride. The film also has a magnetic central character, Juan, who's the oldest son in the family, but in many ways runs the family. It, it's a really good movie. It didn't get nominated, but I, at the point that it becomes available, I got to see it um, as sort of a special uh, run of all the documentary shorts, but or I'm sorry, all the shortlisted documentaries. I don't know when it will next be available, but when it is, I recommend it. It's really fantastic. Um, but that's the shortlist. Those are the ones that were left out. Um, now let's talk about the other nominees. And these are actually not in, in any order other than just what makes sense from structuring the discussion. I'll start with the likely favorite in this category, which is a Netflix movie called American Factory. So the filmmakers uh, that made this movie, Julia Reichert and Steve Bognar, previously were nominated for their short, which was called The Last Truck Closing of a GM Plant. And that examined the impact of General Motors shutting down a manufacturing facility in Ohio. This film is definitely in conversation with that one. So it picks back up at the same plants a little less than 10 years later. A Chinese company has bought and reopens this plant in Ohio. And that provides work to many who had lost their jobs. It infuses hope and identity back into this community. But it becomes apparent fairly quickly that the cultural differences between China and America pose major issues on both the employer and employee side and threaten the ability for this partnership to work. It is tremendously nuanced. It's not judgmental. It captures both the personal and, and human impact of globalization, automation, corporate consolidation, but also some of the motivation of why these systems have evolved to be that way. And you equally see, you see inside the boardroom with the CEO, you see inside the homes of American factory workers who are impacted by these decisions. You see Chinese factory workers who are expected to prioritize work in a way that even the most intense meat grinder of American corporate cultures can't touch. And 
it, this is a very good film. If it wins, I will not be upset. You can watch it easily at home if you have Netflix. I, I recommend you do so. My favorite movie of the year, though, in this category is called For Sama, and it also could win. It also could win. It's gotten a lot of accolades across this festival circuit, across other award uh, bodies. It's about a hospital in Aleppo, Syria. It's indirect conversation with another nominee in this category called The Cave, which is also about a hospital in Syria. So I'll talk about them together, but I'll start with Forsama, which I think personally is the superior film. So the main character in this film is named Wad, and she and her husband operate one of the final remaining hospitals in Aleppo. And she has a new daughter named Sama. So this film is her capturing their circumstance for posterity. And so her daughter can see when she grows up that her parents stayed in Aleppo and to fight and to try to help and to make things better. It's a really powerful human thread. And what I appreciated about this movie is just totally dangerous, unsafe filmmaking. It protects you from nothing. There is graphic war violence. There's horrible imagery, explosions that make you jump out of your seat. It doesn't censor the experience, and it's it's a tough watch. Um, but life in Syria is brutal and unforgiving at the moment, and and you feel that as as a member of the audience. There have been a number of Syria long and short documentaries these past few years, and it can be a hard thing to compare these films because they're all honest pain covering a really important conflict in the world and, and doing a public service, where for some a stood out for me is just how much it humanizes the story through this letter to the child, the remarkableness of what they're doing, like single-handedly operating this hospital and the danger they're in because of that, and then the rawness of what they capture. And and some of it is horrible, horrible stuff. There's also some beautiful, really amazing stuff. I'm not going to spoil it, but the single most memorable scene in this movie is right in the middle, and they're trying to save a baby during birth. And the entirety of the scene is one of the most astounding things that you will ever see in a movie. Certainly this year, I would say ever. It, it's remarkable. Um, it's in my top five films for the whole year. It's what I would pick in this category. Now, I mentioned The Cave, which is also nominated, topically very similar. It covers a hospital in Aleppo. It is such a direct compare with Fursama, and I found the storytelling here to be weaker. Now, I'll say it feels very hard to criticize a movie like this. The filmers are putting themselves in mortal danger to show the world what's really happening, and there's immense humanitarian value to that. I'm evaluating purely as a movie next to another movie on the same topic, and in Forsama, you always feel immediately in danger. Watching the cave, I felt safe. Forsama shows you graphic horrors of war, the cave largely protects the viewer from the most grisly of it. There is a chemical weapon scene where, I mean, it's it's no picnic, but they they try to censor, I think, some of the more difficult things to look at, and Forsama doesn't. Forsama also has uh, this emotional thread with the family and, and raising the child. I didn't feel I got to really know the characters in the cave. Um, and then I, I mentioned the remarkable scene in Forsama with the trying to save the baby during birth. And again, I didn't have any scene here that was, was a similar experience for me. Now, again, this all just may be me, like my own personal experience watching the movie. I released another episode today uh, covering sound categories with Tim Meerhead from the Tone Mentors podcast. 
And we recorded it before the nominees were announced. And I asked him, I'm like, what do you hope is recognized this year? And he said the cave. Like, we were talking about sound work. Um, He talked about the remarkable nature of the kind of recording below the surface and what was happening above the surface. And this is a pretty unexpected movie to come up in that context. Like, the other movies we were talking about were Avengers Endgame in 1917 and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He brought up the cave unprompted. So there's huge value in this movie as a film. Certainly as a humanitarian exercise. Again, I was just so moved by Forsama. And then I saw The Cave after. And so as a direct comparison, I didn't feel the same way about it that I did uh, as Forsama. But that's the third nominee. Two other movies nominated in this category. Honeyland, which is nominated here. And it's also in International Feature. This is a very interesting movie. It's about a woman in rural Macedonia who lives with her elderly mother and survives on harvesting honey from bees and has a really reciprocal relationship with the land. She respects the bees. She um, understands kind of her life uh, blood or I I guess her reliance on the natural ecosystem and is very deferential to it. She gets new neighbors who come in kind of like a hurricane. They bring 50 cows. They're trying to harvest bees and they kill all her bees and, and they don't kind of show that same deference it's kind of like the ultimate argument for zoning, but really it's about her trying to get along in the world. And there's a lot of discussion about the meaning of life and this sort of very survival type of existence that she has lived for a long time. She lives with her mother who's older and dying, and they have a lot of very personal conversations. She's just a really compelling character. And it's sort of amazing that they were filming when they were and like managed to capture the whole story from the time that her neighbors move in to when they move out. Part of, I think, why people watch documentaries is to see and experience things they wouldn't otherwise be able to see and experience, and Honeyland delivers on that. The final nominee is called Edge of Democracy, and again, I think this was probably the last one in. Um, Wasn't necessarily favored to be included in the final nominees, but I'm glad it is. It's, It's also available on Netflix, and it's informative. It looks at the rise and fall of the Democratic Workers' Party in Brazil, captured by a woman in Brazil whose parents were activists, and she's she's pretty highly connected with the party. She has one-on-one interviews in this movie that's like with her mother and, I guess this is one-on-two interviews, with her mother and the former president of Brazil. So she has access. It tells a story of the fragility of democracy and the outsized influence of corporations and corruption. When you live in America, I think there's a lot of talk all the time about corporations and corruption, but it always feels like it's going to be fine. Or it's like political talk, but it's going to be okay. This movie is looking at how tenuous democracy can really be. And it's made well and the story's told well. I I like that this was nominated, honestly, because I think more people will see it. And it's a worthy film to see and talk about and be nominated. So that's it. Those are the docs. A few final um, docs that weren't even shortlisted, but that were notable... Diego Maradona from HBO covers the soccer star, um, and it has uses real footage. It's the same filmmaker who, who made Amy, which won Best Documentary a few years ago, and it's an interesting movie, kind of a standard case study in fame, fall from grace. Uh, Fiddler, Miracle of Miracles, is about the legacy of the musical Fiddler on the Roof. I just personally, um, I played Tevia in my middle school production of Fiddler on the Roof, so obviously I appreciated that. Uh, running with 
Beto was an HBO doc behind the scenes of Beto O'Rourke's Senate campaign when he was running uh, in Texas. I actually preferred that one to Knock Down the House, um, which is the one that was shortlisted. Ask Dr. Ruth, uh, a life bio of the sex therapist Dr. Ruth that you can watch on Hulu. A lot of people, I think, early in the year watched Fire, the greatest party that ever happened um, on Netflix about the Fire Festival. And I think that was the Netflix one, not the Hulu one. And I, I think a lot of people maybe also saw the HBO documentary, The Inventor, Out for Blood in Silicon Valley about Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes. Yeah, it's a lot of documentaries we just talked about. Um, but again, my picks as far as what I hope wins across these categories, St. Louis Superman in shorts and Force Summit feature. I think more likely to win are Learning to Skateboard uh, in a War Zone if you're a girl for shorts and American Factory in feature. Uh, which I'd be cool with, but I'm still hoping for for Sama. So hopefully that helps you with your Oscar picks. If you've seen these movies, hopefully you enjoyed some conversation about it. Um, but that's episode one in the books. Again, most of my episodes are going to have guests. Um, I encourage you to go check out episode two right now, in fact, which is also live. It's my conversation with Tim Meerhead on sound editing. And then I'll be back with two more episodes on Thursday. So thanks again. Really appreciate you tuning in. Please subscribe. Please give me five stars if you can. And happy Oscar nomination day. Talk to you soon.